Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you audit your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Hello, America, and happy Friday. So glad to join you. What a busy, newsy week it's been. And I don't think today is going to be any different. We're going to finish the week the way we started with a lot of breaking accountability news going on around the country. We've got two amazing guests for us today. First up, Michael Chamberlain from the Protect Your Public Interest nonprofit group. That's the new government watchdog that's doing so much important work in the transparency space to hold Biden administration and U.S. government officials and their allies accountable when they do things that run contrary to ethics laws or ethics regulations, good governance standards. He has been working on the censorship story that we started here at Just the News. Greg Piper and I worked on this a few months ago. We outed the identity of this election integrity partnership and the fact that it was working with the Homeland Security Department and the State Department to filter information into social media companies in hopes that they would censor it. So basically, the U.S. government creates a middle company, a middle entity, a nonprofit group called the Election Integrity Partnership, made up of several universities and other groups. And then they go make the requests on behalf of the government to censor things that they think are election disinformation. Well, one of those partners in the Election Integrity Partnership was a University of Washington Center. They are subject to state open records laws. Michael Chamberlain's group has been trying to get information from them under the open records law. The university's not complying, so he's filed a lawsuit, and we're going to talk about that in the first half of the show. And that follows very nicely from the big story we all talked about yesterday on this program with FBI agent Elvis Chan's extraordinary testimony about what the FBI was doing to censor information using its San Francisco office, its ties to Silicon Valley, to big tech, to Twitter and Facebook. Requests would come through all the different offices, go up to FBI headquarters, come to Elvis Chan. He would forward them on 
to the uh, foreign uh, to the special media companies and censorship occurred. And he said 50 percent of the time when he asked, he got something done. Well, this is part of that larger ecosystem. FBI, Homeland Security, CDC, FDA, State Department all had operations focused on trying to censor opinions, censor information on the Internet, whether it was the Hunter Biden laptop, questions about the vaccine, questions about the origins of COVID-19, questions about the ethics of the Biden family. We're now getting a picture that this was a very holistic, large, multifaceted, multi-targeted censorship operation. And Michael Chamberlain is going to bring us up to speed on that. And then in the second half, we're going to follow up on a story we first broke on this show earlier in the week. We brought John Rich on, the great country music artist. He has started a brand new bank, and it's designed to help give a financial institution to people in America so they can't be canceled. That's what they can't be canceled. That's what this is about. Well, one of his partners in that venture is Larry Elder, the great conservative radio talk show host, former gubernatorial candidate, great author, great conservative thought leader. Well, he's going to join us on why he got involved in Old Glory Bank, what it's going to do, what it's going to mean. And then he's going to tease an announcement. Guess what? Think 2024, Larry Elder, that you heard me right. He's thinking about running for president. We're going to talk to him about that as well. So two big stories coming up on the interview blocks today. Michael Chamberlain, followed by Larry Elder. You're going to have a lot of fun with that. Now, before we get to that, I want to just turn to one very important story that we broke on our TV show last night, Just the News, No Noise, and on Just the News shortly after that. It is a very important look at the guy who has overseen congressional ethics in the House for most of the last 12 years. It's a name that most people haven't heard of, but he's very powerful. He intakes complaints against members of Congress and their staff and then decides which one should get referred to the Ethics Committee for investigation. His name is Omar Ashmawi, and he is the chief of the Congressional Ethics Office. He is a staff director and chief counsel is the actual title, but he's the top guy. He reports to an independent board free of political influence from Congress. Well, over the last seven years, Omar Ashmawi has had two run-ins with law enforcement. The most recent one occurred in September when he drove his car, according to police, into a house in Pennsylvania while driving under the influence. Before police were summoned, he tried to ask the owner of the home not to call police and he would pay for the damages if they didn't call police. Of course, the owner didn't do that. Mr. Ashmawi was arrested. He's been charged with DUI and other offenses. And for a while, he was put on leave from his job. But last week, Mr. Ashmawi was allowed to come back to work. And he's also likely to escape criminal punishment for his DUI episode, even though he acknowledges he had an alcohol abuse problem, because he's voluntarily agreed to get into an alcohol abuse program and get involved in what is known as a accelerated rehabilitation a disposal program, a way to get rid of criminal charges. Officials in Pennsylvania, according to the correspondence that Justin News obtained, are likely to drop the charges and erase this arrest from his record. But as Republicans heard of this episode, people like Congressman Rodney Davis of Illinois, the top-ranking Republican on the House Administration Committee, also the Republican leaders on the House Rules Committee, and other committees, they started to dig deeper into his background. And what they found out is that Mr. Ashmawi had a prior episode involving police 
also in Pennsylvania back in 2015. At that point, he got in a bar fight. The ultimate investigation concluded he wasn't the aggressor. Other people were. He got attacked. Some people dispute that account, but that's what the investigation found. But he wanted to get the people that fought with him prosecuted. And he, according to the congressional correspondence we obtained, improperly used his congressional email, improperly insinuated that powerful people in Washington uh, wanted this case prosecuted. And he pressured police and prosecutors to prosecute some of his aggressors. An internal investigation was launched. An outside independent counsel was brought in. And it was determined that Mr. Ashmawi abused his congressional privileges, that it was inappropriate for him to do this. He showed, as the document said, a lapse in judgment. The special counsel raised some pretty significant concerns about what Mr. Ashmawi did. For instance, he tried to suggest that maybe because he was Arab and Muslim, that's why police weren't trying to prosecute the people he wanted. He said that big people in Washington were interested in this, raising questions about it. That wasn't true. And at the end of the day, the independent counsel said he was troubled by this Mr. Ashmawi's behaviors. The ultimate decision was he wasn't going to get punished again. The fact that he got beaten up and the fact that one of the people he tried to get prosecuted unsuccessfully sued him, and he had to settle that case, that that was enough punishment for this. Now, the board, the independent order board, which just let him come back to work from the DUI, also made a decision not to punish him further in the 2015 episode. But Rodney Davis, who you're going to hear from Sunday, says that this guy's judgment is not the sort of person that should be running the Office of Ethics in the Congress. He's asked Ashmawi to resign. And that story, all the documents backing it up are on the website in a story headlined, Bar Fight and DUI Car Crash, the Conduct of a Democratic Pick Congressional Ethics Chief Gains Scrutiny as House Republicans Prepare to Take Over. One of the things that you'll see in the story, it's interesting, that goes to the judgment of this person, is in the way he engaged with the police and the prosecutors not realizing using his congressional email was inappropriate, not realizing that suggesting police might have a racial motive not to prosecute someone. Those were elements of judgment, bad judgment, lapses in judgment, as the internal files called that. All of that's there, including a letter that the congressman wrote laying out their concerns after they got briefed on all this. It's a pretty important story. Take a look at it. It's another example of how powerful people in Washington, when they do something wrong or perceived wrong, seem to escape punishment. We heard this in the FBI. We've heard it in other congressional instances. But what makes this so important, and you see it in the Independent Council's report on the 2015 bar fight episode involving Omar Ashmawi, this man, Mr. Ashmawi, because he has such an important job regulating the conduct, determining who should be investigated for misconduct in Congress, he should be held to a higher standard. And uh, that's what troubled a lot of people here. And that is why the story is trending so well today. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Michael Chamberlain from Protect Your Public Interest will be here. Big new lawsuit on the censorship from targeting University of Washington, the Election Integrity Partnership, collusion with Homeland Security and the State Department. We're going to dig into all of that. And then Larry Elder, my good friend, the great radio talk show host, the extraordinary author, former gubernatorial candidate, and as you're going to find out in the interview, potential future presidential candidate, he's going to join us in the next block. We'll be right back after all those messages. 
Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you out at your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down, my blood sugar is down, my weight's down, my health is up, my sleeping patterns are better, my metabolism is up. If you wanna experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back for the Commercial Week. As promised, a very special guest, what Michael Chamberlain has done over the last year or so to build, protect the public's trust into one of the most influential nonprofit civic watchdogs in Washington is nothing short of amazing ethics complaints, ethical conflicts, freedom of information lawsuits. He is fighting every day to make sure that you and I, the American public, are informed on amazing things that our government does and doesn't do to live up to the standards that we all expect our government to live to. And he's joining us now to update us on a very important story. As you know, we broke a pretty big censorship story here a few weeks ago. Greg Piper and I teamed up to expose some of the stuff that this Election Integrity Partnership was doing, a private consortium of universities and other groups aligned with the Homeland Security Department, Department of State, taking requests to censor Americans' content from government agencies or at government suggestions and then taking it to the social media companies and actually achieving censorship, either actual removal of posts or down throttling or shadow banning. This has now been confirmed by Twitter in the release of Elon Musk. Well, Michael Chamberlain and his group, they went into action and they went to try to force the University of Washington, one of the groups that were involved in this censorship machine, to give up public records. It's a publicly funded university. What have you been doing with taxpayers' money to censor people? They didn't get an answer. So they sued. And Michael's here to tell us the latest on that. Michael, great to have you back on the show. It's great to be here, John. And, and we're just kind of trying to pick up on the work that 
that the investigative journalism that, that you've performed yourself at, at Just the News and, and add what we can, our, our piece of it, and get the public the information that they need to know. So I, I can't help but think that when most of us read the dystopian novels like 1984 and, and Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, you know, we saw those as warnings. But unfortunately, it, it appears that there are others that interpreted them as playbooks. And unfortunately, as well, it appears that some of those people may be working in the in the places that are supposed to be protecting the rights of Americans. And instead, it, uh, they may be trampling on those rights. And so the work of the Foundation for Freedom Online and the coverage of Just the News and, and other outlets, the, the lawsuits from the attorneys general in Missouri and Louisiana have, have started to, to pry back this the 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 curtain that covers some of this and so we saw an opportunity that we can help help to break into that and get to some of the information and build on the the in-depth research that say ffo did for instance and get to some of the things that the public deserves to know but that the individuals and the agencies involved are much less less willing to reveal so we filed a series of freedom of information act or public records requests with the the state of washington regarding the the organization within the university of washington that is participating in this in this i i can't help but think of it as anything other than the censorship industry and going after the speech of law-abiding Americans, as it seems. And so we, we think that, yeah, we think that there's much more that, that the public needs to know about this. And, and uh, we're very thankful for, for outlets like Just the News and John and the great work that you guys have done over there to, to help to expose this and, and to bring it all out into the open where it needs to be. It's such an amazing thing. And, you know, the more we've dug into this censorship operation, it was called the Election Integrity Partnership. University of Washington's center was one of them. I think there was a center there from Stanford. Atlantic Council, I think, was one. And then there was a analytics firm called Graphica that made up the four groups that made this private entity. And then Homeland sanctions it and, and sends ideas and concepts of how they can get disinformation off the internet. And then State Department has an office that's actually sending specific censorship requests. And you stop for a second, and it didn't dawn on me until I interviewed former Democratic New Jersey Senator Bob Torricelli last week. He said, you know, the most amazing thing about the censorship, I know, sir, what is it? He said, it's the very institutions that are built on free speech and free expression, universities, social media companies, news media companies that have now become the purveyors of censorship. They're actually infringing the very freedom that their own industries rely upon. And you talked about intolerance, all that. But the idea that a university where open thought is supposed to be the abject of academic learning would be at the forefront of trying to censor opinions on social media. There's such a disconnect there. Do you think everyday taxpayers are going to learn a lot from what University of Washington has done when your documents finally come out? We believe that they will, John. And, and having worked at the U.S. Department of Education, I know that there are too, way too many uh, universities and others of the establishment within the higher education system within the United States that have drifted so far from the ideals of free thought and free expression and open debate 
and it, it's really kind of sad the, the way some of those places have drifted. And one would think that some of these, these entities that you were talking about that are involved in this censorship industry and shutting down of, of ideas, if for nothing else, you, you point out that, that they have relied on, on those themselves, if for nothing else than self-preservation, they would start to think that, you know, maybe this, if we can do this to somebody else, maybe somebody else can do this to us. And so they could start to turn around and, and realize why or what can be happening to other people could happen to them. Uh, the, the revelations at Twitter over the last couple of weeks, you know, they, they have just uh, kind of heightened the public interest in this. And, and that's really why we took action with the records in the, the University of Washington, because we submitted the, the, freedom, the public records request there and and they told us it was going to be several months before we could get records. Well, now we're finding out more and more and more. And every day that this continues, there are more and more Americans whose speech is stifled, whose First Amendment rights are being trampled on. So we believe that it's imperative that we get and the public gets this information as soon as possible so we can peel back the layers of peel back the onion and find out exactly what's going on. And, and if, in fact, people's free speech rights or First Amendment rights have been trampled by those that they believe are protecting them. Yeah, this is so important. And transparency is ultimately the panacea for this. The more we learn, then we can make good informed judgments. One of the things that we're learning, and I think last night was an epic moment for that when Twitter released some new documents. Barry Weiss, the former New York Times journalist, writes about them and gets them all to us. You now realize that the original storylines that these big tech companies, at least one of them gave us, wasn't true. Twitter came out in 2018, made a statement to its entire customer and investor base saying, we do not shadow ban. We do not throttle accounts. We don't do those sort of things. And last night, the new owner, Elon Musk, released documents showing they were doing that all throughout the last four years in in complete contravention to what they had told the American public. So the first line of denial that we've gotten or the first line of assurances we got, hey, this isn't really going on. We don't do this, has been pierced. We saw that with Twitter last night. And then earlier this week, because of the lawsuit that the attorneys general in Missouri and Louisiana filed, we get this extraordinary deposition from special FBI agent Elvis Chan, who reveals that the FBI set up a whole operations command center in San Francisco that forwarded censorship requests for several months during the 2020 election to the social media companies, FBI, DHS, Homeland Security, universities, private entities, CDC has now set up. And all of them originally said, oh, we don't infringe free speech. That's why these checks on these stories are so important, what you're fighting for right now. Oh, absolutely, John. And there's been this narrative over the last few years that, oh, these are private companies and, and they can set their own policies. But the thing is, the government has, from all, from all the information that we've been able to see, has been an active participant in this. And the government cannot get around things it's not supposed to do by outsourcing them to somebody else. So the, the fact that, that Twitter or you know, some other social media company may be, say, shadow banning, for instance, uh, accounts based upon information from the government, well, the government involvement, that brings forth the constitutional and, and legal issues. The, 
So the government outsourcing doesn't relieve them of their duty. If they're, they're supposed to be protecting the rights of the American public, if they're infringing on it and whether they're doing it directly themselves or using a third party to do it makes no difference. It's, it's just as, as wrong and just as violative of, of their constitutional obligations as if they had done it themselves. So, and the University of Washington as a public entity, the, the records are, are available through public information requests. And, and we submitted requests for conversations between the, the University of Washington and, and the official at there that was in charge of their portion of the election integrity partnership that you mentioned. And we were looking for conversations between the, the different entities that you mentioned, the Stanford Internet Observatory, the Atlantic Council, Graphica, those and others. And then there are also some other entities that were involved in, in this uh, from the, the research and the coverage that came from Foundation for Freedom Online and from Just the News at the State Department's Global Engagement Centers, some individual corporations, MITRE Corporation was mentioned specifically in there, uh, some other organizations, the Common Cause, the NAACP Defending Digital Democracy Project and, and others. And so we wanted to get the conversations, communications between the University of Washington's uh, portion of that and these other outside entities just to, so that the public knows what's happening and, and can realize the magnitude of, of this apparatus that is overseeing their, their speech. So important. And I think mapping that apparatus is the first step because we need to understand how widespread it is and how integrated the government is. Because anytime one of these entities that takes action is either government funded or acting at the behest of a government, they can be, become an agent of the government from a legal perspective. And that could be where the ultimate legal challenges come from here. It's going to be very interesting to watch how this plays out over the next several weeks and mapping the full extent of the censorship is such an important thing. And you're contributing to that in such a big way. There's another fun thing you did, because at the heart of this censorship operation, at least the part that was run through Homeland Security and the Election Integrity Partnership, there's a federal agency called the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. And it's a Homeland Agency. And it has a leader right now who apparently used her government account to promote some of her personal business. You filed a complaint on that. Bring us up to speed on what's going on there with the CISA director. Yeah, the, the CISA is a as you, you explained, it's, it's part of the Department of Homeland Security. And the director of CISA, she has a Twitter account, a personal Twitter account, and an official Twitter account. Now, I remember when I worked back in the federal government, John, and it was, it was drilled into our heads constantly, you must avoid endorsing products and services. The, the federal government does not do that. And you, you can see, you can imagine that uh, the government endorsing a product or service or a high ranking official in the government doing so. And that's just the same, maybe even more valuable as an endorsement from a famous athlete or uh, a celebrity. And so they, you're, we're taught to avoid that. Well, she on at one occasion in, in the beginning, she tweeted something about uh, 
a book and she had a, a gushing review on her official DHS Twitter account. And when a reporter notified her that, hey, this might, might, might uh, have crossed the line, might be a violation, she deleted it. Well, then come to find out, a, a re another reporter at the Washington Post discovered that, oh, there's, he found a couple others. And she, after they told her about it, she deleted them. Well, this is someone who's worked in government before for several years at a high level position that she was in now. Jen Easterly, right? Jen Easterly. She should know the rules. Uh, she should know that to avoid this. And the fact that she didn't even think about it and did it on multiple occasions. And until somebody said, hey, this is, maybe you shouldn't do this. Um, she continued to do it. So we filed a complaint with the inspector general at, at the Department of Homeland Security. We do believe that it's a violation of the restrictions on on using government resources or or their position, an employee's position to endorse a, a product or service. And you would think that and uh, that someone who is atop this apparatus that is monitoring other Americans communications would be able to know and obey the rules that apply to her. It is remarkable. And again, we're going to learn a lot more when that winds its way through the IG system. You've had a lot of success on these with Hatch Act complaints and other things. There seems to be in this early Biden administration, a lot of folks that either have difficulties that they have to get so many ethics waivers or they get caught doing things that they just shouldn't be doing, like either committing politics or personal business on government platforms. Why such a large rash? Is it a cultural thing? You've highlighted more of it than anyone. What do you think drives some of this bad behavior? Well, it's hard to say what, what drives it. We do know that the Biden administration came in and, and they've been continually portraying themselves and, and touting themselves as the most ethical administration in history. And from what we've seen, though, John, that that message doesn't seem to have filtered all the way down to the people that are carrying out the work on a day to day basis. We've we've discovered uh, employees communicating and coordinating with their former employers, uh, which we can at the time considered violations of of their duties. We found conflicts of interest. We found lots of other things. And maybe it's the idea that, you know, with some of the media outlets, they're really not haven't been paying close attention, unlike just the news, uh, who is always paying attention to what's going on in government. Maybe they think that nobody's watching so that they can do uh, whatever they want. Uh, who knows? We don't know what the, the gist of it is or the, the foundation or the basis or the, the origin, but we do know that it needs to be exposed and the American public needs to know about it, regardless of who's in office. People need to play by the same rules and if you're a Democrat, a Republican, a conservative, a libertarian, a green, uh, a liberal, a progressive, there are rules that everyone needs to play by and they need to follow the same rules. Yeah, that's right. The rules are there for a reason. They have to be treated evenly. And I think that that's one of the mentalities now that people are starting to question. Do we have a dual system? Some people get to do it and get held accountable and some people don't. You're making sure that all sides get held accountable. It's such an important mission. Last question for you, Michael. You've watched some of these Twitter things roll out with Barry Weiss and Matt Taibbi and Elon Musk. One of the things that struck me is the level of sophistication of how censorship could occur. The most obvious form is someone posts something, 
they take it down or they take your account away. But all these other algorithmic ways that someone might not even know they were being shadow banned or throttled or kept from being allowed to connect with their legitimate audiences. This has become a science. It looks like a lot of people put a lot of thought into subtle ways to infringe speech. Your takeaways just from the early revelations we've seen. Well, John, I think part of it is, is maybe they realize what they're doing is wrong, but they're going to do it anyway. It's like the, the kid that steals a cookie from the cookie jar. He doesn't do it right in front of his mom. He waits until she goes in the other room and then he sneaks in there and, and grabs it. So it, it appears that they, they knew what they were doing was wrong, but they still wanted to do it. And so they were trying to cover their tracks. And that's what it appears. And, and like you mentioned before about Twitter claiming that we don't shadow ban, well, it turns out that, well, they actually do shadow ban with these revelations in the last couple of weeks from Elon Musk and Nat Taibbi and, and Barry Weiss. So I think we need to take a, a good hard look and we need to know the truth about what's happening. And getting back to the, these are private entities. When they're acting at the behest of the government though, that's just the same as government censorship. So if, they're, if they're acting from instructions from the FBI or from CISA or from HHS or from CDC, that's just as if the government was doing the censorship themselves. Yeah, such a great important point. And that's what we're beginning to learn and also to realize these things are all stitched together. It's a much larger army than maybe we knew when we first got the first hints of this going on. It's amazing. Michael, you are doing so much good work at Protect the Public Trust. What's the best way for people to stay in touch, get hooked up to you, support you, do the, if people are inspired by what you're doing, what's the best way for them to connect with you every day? Well, they can go to our, our webpage, protectpublicstrust.org. And on the contact page, there's a, a subscribe button and they can, they can fill out their information and subscribe to our, our email updates and get our press releases when we send them out. When we uncover wrongdoing in the government, they'll be the first to know about it. Uh, they can follow us on Twitter at Publics Trust and, and keep up with, with what we're doing. And I've listened to the John Solomon podcast and, and look at and watch just the news too. They do a tremendous job of, of covering the work that we do. And we're very appreciative of that. Yeah, we're so lucky. Well, what you have done in just such a short period of time, it's been just over a little over a year, right? That you guys have been up and running, right? Uh, about a year and a half. Wow. Amazing, though. I mean, I think of all of the complaints that have been filed, the lawsuits have been filed, the adjudications and the confirmations of wrongdoing. You have contributed so much to the public's trust, exactly what your mission is. We know so much more, and it's just such a great resource. I signed up for the newsletter. It's incredible. Guys, you got to get on this. So that's how we find out and jump on things at Just the News. It's a great resource what Michael has built. Michael, I don't know if we'll get a chance to talk to you before the holidays, so I want to wish you an early Merry Christmas, and thank you for this amazing work. We're going to follow this university stonewalling case right to the end. Merry Christmas to you, John, from, the, from myself and our team, and we really appreciate all the work that you guys do as well. Same here. We're having a lot of fun and much more work to happen in 2023, I suspect. <laughs> All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Larry Elder will be in the house. He's going to talk a little bit about his new effort to create a cancel-proof bank. And that's going to be interesting. We had John Rich on earlier in the week. And also, Larry Elder has some ambitions for 2024. Yep, he's thinking of running for president. We're going to talk about all that right after this commercial break. 
Hey folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote. It's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, AMAC.us slash just news. That's AMAC.us forward slash just news. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Our next guest, he doesn't need any introduction. He is one of the greatest thought leaders in America. One of the hosts of the, my one of my favorite shows, the Larry Elder Show. And of course, a former gubernatorial candidate. Larry Elder is in the house. Larry, great to have you on the show. John, it is my pleasure. Thank you for not introducing me as the black face of white supremacy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one's getting old, isn't it? <laughs> well, it, it, it's what I expected. That's what the L.A. Times called me when I ran for governor. They also referred to my views as white supremacist views, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> it's just insane, isn't it? All the books you've written, all the thought leadership you've evoked over the years, and that's the best I can come up with. How awful. Well, uh, you are doing something that really caught my attention, and it's very exciting. Yesterday, we had John Rich on the program. He talked a little bit about Old Glory Bank. And when I, we've been covering the, the cancer culture censorship for a couple of years. And the, every more person you talk to see the biggest concern right now is the financial sector, the financial sector. You have stepped into the void with this brand new bank, Old Glory Bank. Tell us a little bit about it and why you got involved. Well, John, as you know, the cancer culture uh, is a virus. It's affected virtually every area of American life, whether it's the media, whether it's Hollywood, whether it's academia, 
uh, obviously big tech. It's also now affecting the banking sector. Recently, there was a hearing where one quarter of the squad was grilling all of these CEOs of banks, including uh, Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan Chase, about the fact that they lend to oil and gas industries and would they stop doing so. And the only one who bluntly said he would not do it was Jamie Dimon. The rest of them danced around it and implied that they would uh, no longer lend uh, to customers or even stop lending to customers who were involved in the oil and gas industry. As you know, the trucking strike up in Canada, the Canadian truckers were threatened with uh, banks turning over their account numbers to the government. Uh, we've got people like um, there was a, a, a conservative gathering in Missouri and the bank that was processing the tickets. Uh, stopped doing it because it didn't like the fact that it was a conservative uh, rally. Had it not been for the intervention of the Missouri AG, uh, that bank could have shut down that particular uh, particular gathering because it didn't like the fact that these were conservatives. And of course, there have been all sorts of individuals, public and private, uh, who've had their accounts shut down because of, of uh, activity they don't like, including the NRA. We don't do that. We believe in freedom. Old Lori Bank is promising not to shut you down because of your views. And we offer full-line banking services. So those of you who are threatened with having your accounts shut down or you're with banks who have threatened to have others shut down and you don't like the values of your bank, there's a home for you at Old Glory Bank. And you can go to oldglorybank.com. Every single question you can ask, ask will be answered on oldglorybank.com. Yeah, it's such an amazing thing. There's some really cool features that really caught my attention when it comes to policies and ideas that you guys are bringing to the table. And, and one of those is for the working class in America who sometimes get stuck in these payday loan situations, you can get access to your payroll two days early if you have auto enrollment. Tell us a little bit about that idea and the idea of standing up for uh, working Americans trying to make ends meet. And, and that's why people like Larry Elder uh, uh, and John, who you had on, uh, I think, yesterday, uh, are involved because we are, are here for regular Americans. And these uh, day loans, payday loans, save fees that people charge, we don't do that. We're trying to be accessible to the regular patriotic American, uh, and that's our, that's our goal. Uh, we also have a standalone bank. It's in, it's in um, Oklahoma. The former governor of Oklahoma, by the way, is also a member of the board. And so, again, this is full-line banking. Anything that your bank does, we can do as well, if not better, uh, and usually uh, for less cost. Yeah, what a, what a novel idea. And at a moment where even, you know, we see uh, some of these intermediary pay vendors, PayPal and Stripe and others, they, they have some of these woke policies. You're going to have that sort of service for small businesses as well so that they don't have to worry about being canceled. It's called Old Glory Pay. Uh, and it's America's first uh, cancel-proof uh, uh, PayPal. How about that? And after what PayPal tried to pull just a couple of months ago with that $2,500 deduction, you know now that people are ready to make a change. When you step back, I mean, you've been in this space a long time in politics and thought leadership. It's so stunning when you see just in the last few weeks what we've learned about at Twitter, the fact that the FBI had a guy assigned full-time to social media to try to create censorship, what Anthony Fauci acknowledged he was doing in his deposition. When did the First Amendment become the last amendment for some people? It seems as though there's a subset of America that has lost the concept that free speech is at really the founding of our, of our nation. Yeah. And where's the ACLU when you need them? I mean, when I grew up, uh, people like the ACLU, they were adamant about free speech. I remember 
Uh, they sided with a bunch of uh, Nazis that wanted to march through an area of Illinois called Skokie, which was primarily a Jewish area because they were that adamant about free speech. What happened to these people? I would have thought that uh, even if we don't agree on taxing, spending, regulation, at least we'd agree about the primacy of the First Amendment. I have no idea what happened. It's all again involved in this cancel culture. And regarding the Hunter Biden laptop story, John, let's remember, but for this um, a computer store owner keeping a copy uh, he turned it over to the FBI in 2019. They had it for a whole year. They did nothing to it. I'm not quite sure how Giuliani ultimately got his hands on it, but had this guy not made a copy and just gone public and said, you know, Hunter Biden turned over a laptop and had all this stuff about his overseas business dealings and Joe Biden uh, being the big guy who gets 10%. Uh, and I mentioned it to the FBI and I turned it over and I never saw it again. They call him a liar, as they did anyway. Uh, and he and he would have uh, we never would have known about all of this. And had had Elon Musk not bought Twitter, we, of course, would not have known about the executives and their pipeline to the, to the Biden team and the former FBI agent who got fired from the FBI, who certainly turned up as the deputy uh, uh, general counsel of Twitter. We wouldn't have known about all of that. So these two things, had those things not happened, uh, we would have just been yelling and screaming in the darkness as we've been for a long time about the bias of big tech, the deep state, uh, and their conspiracy to hold down conservatives. Yeah, such a remarkable thing. Senator Grassi put out a statement in the last 24 hours that really caught my attention. He said, what we now know is that Twitter was effectively an arm of the Democratic Party in the Biden campaign. Such a profound statement to think about. You know, we all thought we were on the platform because it was a town hall where we could exchange ideas. And it turns out it was rigged right beneath our noses and we wouldn't have known it were it not for Elon Musk. It's just a remarkable moment in our our history. I want to turn to uh, just some of the politics of the day because the Republicans come out of this week having lost Georgia, having underperformed in the midterms, having lost the 2020 election, losing the 2018 election. There's a lot of leadership decisions to be made in the next couple of months. Kevin McCarthy, Ronna McDaniel. Where do you think the party ends up on those? And more importantly, how does the party come together, start creating progress and victories on the policy front and in the electoral front? Well, you know, when I when I lost the race here in California, somebody asked me about how I felt about it. And I said, I was watching a Star Wars episode one time, and the good guys were on one side of the mountain, and the bad guys were on the other side of the mountain. And one of the good guys, leader, just said, there's just so many of them. We are being assaulted on so many different levels. When uh, Roe v. Wade got overturned, I assumed that after a few days, the left would calm down because, as you know, all it means is that the decision goes back to the states where it was for the first 150 years of our republic. Uh, I had no idea that it would be the second most uh, animating issue, according to exit polling, uh, in the last uh, midterms. I think we underestimated the impact of that and didn't deal with it more effectively. We should have talked more about how extreme the left is. Uh, uh, people like Gavin Newsom and others still won't say whether or not there's some point beyond which a pregnancy has gone so far that it's, that it's homicide. The other thing I think we underestimated, John, is Joe Biden's uh, student loan forgiveness. Uh, constantly we're talking about the youth vote, the youth vote, and usually uh, the youth vote underperforms what the experts expect. Not this time. They overperformed, and I think largely because they expected to get 10000 or 20000 uh, in so-called student debt relief from the Biden administration. I also think we underestimated the way this, this ridiculous narrative known as election denying uh, would affect people. Uh, for years, Hillary has referred to Donald Trump as illegitimate, said the election was stolen. Nobody called her an election denier. To this day, Al Gore will tell you the Supreme Court put George W. Bush in the White House. Uh, Hillary even referred to George W. Bush once as president-select. Stacey Abrams, for a couple of years, ran around talking about how 
she lost her race because of voter suppression. The first week of January 2005, Benny Thompson, the chair of the January 6th committee, joined 30 other Democrats to overturn the election in Ohio, claiming without any evidence that the Devote voting machines had been tampered with. My point is, for years, the Democrats have been, quote, denying elections, quote, quote, nobody accused them of undermining the foundation of our republic. I just thought they were so were losers. We make arguments about 2020, and somehow we are all election denying, and it really did seem to work, and it motivated a lot of people on the left. So these are kinds of things that I don't think um, McCarthy anticipated or McDaniel anticipated. We should have been far more sensitive to the fact that some of these kinds of arguments do, in fact, animate the left. We also were not on top of early voting. Uh, I, when I ran for California, we had early voting. I never said one word about it. I should have. I should have been talking about it, but I didn't. I really thought our people were going to show up on voting day and would overwhelm the uh, advantage that they had in early voting. And, of course, we needed to get on top of ballot harvesting where it is legal. All of these things we should be doing irrespective of what the people at the top are doing. Yeah, and that's going to be a big conversation. You can't win modern-day elections in states where early voting is prominent unless you play that game. You unilaterally disarm if you're not in on that. That seems to have been a miscalculation that the RNC and others have made. Do you think 2022 is the wake-up call where people realize, hey, we've got to do this? Lee Zeldin does it in New York, right? And they, they do very well in New York. I certainly hope so. And i tell you something else. I interviewed Richard Vigory, who was a longtime friend of William F. Buckley, co-founder of the National Review. And he, and he pointed out in the last 20 years, there have been 20,000 single-issue nonprofits who applied for tax-exempt status versus between 1,000 and 2,000 single-issue nonprofits on the conservative side. 20,000 liberal nonprofits, single-issue, 2,000 conservative nonprofits, single-issue. And in the last 20 years, the nonprofits have outraised uh, liberal nonprofits have outraised the conservative nonprofits 700%. So uh, I got outspent probably by a factor of five or seven to one. Uh, Herschel Walker got outspent by at least a factor of two to four to one. We're being outspent everywhere. And it's not that we don't have the money, for crying out loud. We need to pony up and recognize that you've got to have the money to get the message out. Yeah, that's such a good point. If you own the narrative, you own the election. If you can't own the narrative, you tend to lose the election. And that's really what Joe Biden did. He owned that narrative with democracies at risk, election deniers, and, and uh, I'm going to give you money that I'm not entitled to give you for student loan relief. And, uh, and he won. It's amazing. And, and, that's what, and that's what Gavin Newsom is doing out here, John, in, in California regarding this reparation task force. As you know, half a trillion dollars total, $233,000 per so-called black descendant uh, of slavery here in California. Never mind California was not a slave state. Uh, you know, ne never mind that, that you're talking about taxpayers uh, who never owned slaves paying money to people who were never slaves. The whole thing is absolutely absurd. I have got a friend who did her DNA testing, and it turns out she's 10% uh, African. And she asked me, does she get 10% 10 10 check? And, you know, Kamala Harris is from here. And her uh, father is Jamaican, admitted that he had slaves in his family. Her mother is from India. So does Kamala Harris get a check or does she cut a check? The whole thing is just insane. And, and the idea that a, a, a non-slave state like California should be paying reparations to, student, to, to, uh, uh, to residents who are black uh, is just a complete and total non-starter. It's all about buying votes. 
people have no idea how radical Gavin Newsom is, which is why it's amusing to me, John, when I see these polls saying he's probably the second or third uh, highest rated uh, likely candidate in 2024. They have no idea how radical this guy is on crime, on spending. Uh, he banned gasoline-powered cars by 2035. He's already banned gasoline-powered lawnmower and leaf blowers. He's mandated that everybody who graduates from high school has to have at least one course in ethics studies. Uh, he signed a bill that uh, mandates every publicly held corporation in California have at least one member of the, quote, disadvantaged community on its board, somebody who's LGBTQIA or what have you. I mean, the whole thing is insane. Uh, the courts already ruled that the law we had in California that mandated a female on every board of director of a public health corporation was unconstitutional, but he still signed this one anyway. Unreal. Oh, that literally running against California will probably be a winning election a strategy for Republicans. If I think most Americans have figured out that California seems to be off a ledge, uh, at least in the center of America. Larry, last question. Republicans get in the House. They take over. What's the most important first statement they can make in January? Well, I think we need to secure the borders. That's something that uh, we probably can do something about. Uh, stop some of stop some of the spending. Um, and um, uh, you know, beyond that, we have to get us back to energy independence uh, and, uh, you know, again, do something about this, uh, this inflation by stopping the spending. Uh, we're going to have investigations. We need to find out the origins of COVID. We need to find out uh, the collusion between big tech uh, and, uh, and the social media platforms. But, you know, given the fact that we no longer have uh, we don't no, no longer have an even split in the Senate. And of course, we don't have the White House, at least not for two more years. It's going to be tough for us to get anything done. But we can stop some of the stupid stuff. Yeah, that's the important thing, putting the brakes on, tapping the brakes. That's uh, going to be an important uh, item. Larry, it's always an honor. I know so many people since we started talking about this yesterday are excited about what you've done with Old Glory Bank. You and Ben Carson and John Rich, really a patriotic act for the entire country. Really want to thank you for that and uh, look forward to get you back on the show real soon. And John, I haven't mentioned to you that I'm thinking about throwing uh, my black face of white supremacy uh, in the in the contest for 2024. I'm giving it real. No kidding. I didn't know that. That's a big yeah. deal. Yeah, I've been to, I've been to Iowa about four or five times in the last uh, month. I've been to uh, New Hampshire uh, and uh, I'm serious. And uh, I, if, I, if I decide to do it, I'll make an announcement sometime in, in February or March. I've got a pack called ElderForAmerica.com. So tell your tell your fans and listeners. Uh, to throw a little something in the tip jar if you want Elder to consider this. Elderforamerica.com. Elderforamerica.com. That's easy. And what are going to be the factors when you, I mean, that's a big decision. What are some of the factors that uh, go into, you know, you making decisions to take that leap? Well, um, you know, we know what the issues are. Once I just now mentioned inflation, we need school choice. We need to do something about getting back to energy independence. But I have a couple of issues, John, that I think I can bring to the table in a way more authentic than maybe some of my other rivals can. And that is, uh, the number one problem facing this country is a large number of children into the world without a father married to the mother in the home. Forty percent of kids in America today are born without a father married to the mother in the home. Seventy percent of black kids. And forget about elder. Barack Obama once said a kid raised without a father is five times more likely to be poor, nine times more likely to drop out of school and 20 times more likely to end up in jail. Now, the question is, why have we gone from 25 percent of black kids entering the world without a father in the home married to the mother to 70 percent now? Answer the welfare state. What we've done, we've incentivized women to marry the government. And we've incentivized men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility. And I've seen it firsthand in the inner city where I grew up. The other issue is when Obama got elected, 
he won with around 52% of the vote. John, he walked to the Oval Office the third week of 2009 at 70%. Why? Because even people who didn't vote for him said at the very least, he'll bring us together racially. He'll stop this nonsense that America is systemically racist. What did he do? Every time he had a chance to do that, he went the wrong way. From the Cambridge Police Act, stupidly, to racism is in America's DNA, to if I had a son, he looked like Trayvon, to embracing Black Lives Matter, uh, to uh, invoking Ferguson, which was a complete lie when he gave a speech for the United Nations, to the point where when he left office, both blacks and whites thought race relations had gotten worse because this man played the race card. Why? Because he knew if he got black people angry and thinking about social justice, whatever the blank that means, and getting white liberals to be sympathetic, he could get that 90, 95% monolithic black vote without which the Democratic Party cannot survive at the presidential level. Again, my father never knew his biological father, so I know it's not a death sentence, but this man had a 13, left home when he was 13 years old, eighth grade education, ended up being a small entrepreneur, and when my dad died, he had a net worth a little bit under a million dollars. Lifelong Republican, and my father believed in God, uh, he believed in patriotism, uh, he believed in entrepreneurship, he believed in America. He would not allow my brothers and me uh, to whine about how bad things are. And today, for crying out loud, Obama got a higher percentage of the of the uh, white vote than John Kerry did four years earlier. It is nonsense that America is systemically racist. And I think I can talk about that in a way uh, more persuasive and more passionately than maybe some of my other rivals can. Yeah, such an important discussion to have because a lot of the media and a lot of the establishment politicians are afraid to have that conversation, but it's at the heart of what we're going to become as a country in the future if we don't start getting on top of it. Larry, it's always an honor to have you on this show, and I look forward to get you on after the first year. Hope you have a Merry Christmas. You too. God bless, John. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, my friend. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after these messages. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. We're so excited for all of the friends and partners that we have here. By the way, also for all the people who come on this show every day, we are so blessed and lucky to have so many good guests like Michael Chamberman, like Larry Elder, like the congressman you're going to hear on Saturday and Sunday on the show. But we also are blessed to be supported by advertisers, sponsors, strategic partners that support us, make our journalism possible, our investigative reporting possible, and who have products and services they make available to you, often with a discount or a benefit that you can't get anywhere else. And one of those are my good friends at IHEA. They sponsor 
the online safe gun ownership and competency training schools and training sessions. I've taken one. I think they're amazing. You learn safe shooting schools. You keep the muscle memory and the security practices of being a responsible Second Amendment owner at the forefront of your mind, and you do it in the comfort of your home. It's amazing. If you want to take advantage of that, all you have to do is visit ffcourse.org. FF course for firearms, of course. FFcourse.org. Go there. You can sign up for one of the courses. They're amazing. We've had some of the great folks that are behind this program on the show. Go to ffcourse.org. Sign up. Do it over the holidays. It's a gift to you, to your family. There's nothing better than not only being a Second Amendment champion, but being a safe, responsible, memory-muscled-toned gun owner. And that is what I am, and that's what you should be. Check it out today, ffcourse.org. All right, folks, that wraps up the Friday edition of John Solomon's Report. We've got an incredible weekend of guests coming up. Tomorrow, you're going to hear from an extraordinary whistleblower in Florida, the second whistleblower we have found in Central Florida, in the Orlando area, in Orange County, one of the largest counties in Florida. He's going to lay out new problems with the security and protection of voter data in one of Florida's largest counties. It's led to the opening of an investigation. You're going to hear from Brian Freed tomorrow. He's a whistleblower. Amazing story. He's been fired because he wouldn't sign a non-disclosure agreement so that he could blow the whistle on these wrongdoing. You're going to hear from him tomorrow. going to be a big moment on the show. Also tomorrow, Congressman Kevin Brady, ranking Republican House Ways and Means, what we need to watch for at the end of the year when Democrats go on their final spending spree before they give up control of the House. And then Bernie Carrick, former NYPD commissioner, he's going to join us. Great show tomorrow. Sunday, well, nothing short of spectacular as well. Kevin Brock, the former FBI intelligence chief, he's got some prescient words to say about his old agency and some of the things they're doing on Russia, disinformation, censorship. Congressman Roddy Davis, he's going to talk to us about that incredible congressional ethics office story we broke at the top of the show. Congressman Andrew Clyde, who is one of the top Republicans on House Homeland Security, he's going to talk about the border, about censorship, about the big trade for Brittany Griner, whether that was a good trade for America. That's going to be a really great interview as well. Elaine Parker from the Extraordinary Small Business Group, Job Creators Network, she's going to join us because she is in the middle of one of the biggest, most important Supreme Court court challenges in recent history, the one challenging the legality of Joe Biden's student loan cancellation program. New filings this week to the Supreme Court. She's going to bring us up to speed on that. And finally, the head of the Religious Broadcasters Association, the NRB, Troy Miller's here. He's going to talk about something you might not have heard of. We know House and Senate, with Republican votes, passed this new marriage bill recognizing gay marriage. But Troy Miller has a concern inside that bill about a fine print piece of language in there that could open up churches and religious groups to new forms of litigation, legal harassment, lawfare. And he's going to describe what that's about. That's our Sunday show. So we've got a great weekend planned for you. Again, get ready. It's getting closer to the holidays. You're doing your Christmas shopping, but we want to make sure you have some food for thought when you're out in the store, when you're out on the walk. If you're making Sunday brunch, you'll have something to listen to. A lot of great guests all weekend long. All right, folks, that wraps it up. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. 
Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner. Whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite, you and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. Hey there, it's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, expert politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey. 